Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of Cape Sports Now. The sun is shining. Matt and I are both in short sleeves. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun day to cover sports in comparison to the last few weeks, wouldn't you say so? Oh, yeah. Like, this is the time of the year I really love as a sports reporter. It's just going to be outside, in the sun. What? Like, this is when the job right. is fun. It's not always like this. I mean, we're probably pushing our luck because in two days. It wasn't we, like this two days ago. Exactly. You could do it completely. <laughs> one. Last night, even. Yeah, pretty much. The rain out of the way. Anyway, uh, welcome to another episode. We appreciate you having us with us. We have a whole bunch to break down this week, um, especially, Matthew, I know you want to talk a lot about the Cape Cod showdown in baseball and softball. And, and as we said in the description, this is going to be a tournament that's going to have a lot of playoff implications. Absolutely. So the Cape Cod showdown, for people who don't know, is the four Atlantic Coast League teams that are actually on Cape. Marshfield, obviously, is excluded. So it's Sandwich, Nauset, Falmouth, D.Y., they will play their semifinal matches in both baseball and softball on Tuesday, and then they will reseed for the championships, which are Thursday. The uh, baseball championship and the consolation game, or the third place game, however you want to call it, is at uh, Gov Fuller Field in Falmouth this year. DY usually hosts the Cape Cod Showdown Championships because they have those two softball fields side by side. Um, baseball is going to be an interesting one because a lot of these teams are kind of on the close to the playoffs. So, you know, your first game is Falmouth, or one of your game semifinals is Falmouth at DY. So Falmouth is in, DY, but they're still hunting. They play Barnstable today, um, so that should be a really good game that I'll be at. I'm looking forward to that one. And then they play Falmouth tomorrow. Falmouth has got to be feeling fairly confident coming into this game. They won against DY 4-3 in nine innings earlier, like last week. That was their last game. Gates Kelleher was really big for them. Anthony Carson was three for four with a double. Um, for DY, Sam Capobianco was three for four. Uh, so that's a really important game. And then on the other side of the semifinal, you have Sandwich versus Nosset, who just last Wednesday played each other for the Atlantic Coast League Championship. Uh, that was a good game. That was over at Eldridge Park in Orleans. I was very excited to go to that one. Tyler Whitaker was huge in that game. He had a grand slam Nick Carr had a solo home run on his 18th birthday, which was a nice little birthday gift from him. Um, so we didn't have a scratch ticket or something like that after the game? Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. The MIA might not look too uh, favorable. Yeah, I, I think they, they'd have something to say about that. Uh, so, you know, we have the top two teams in the ACL in one semifinal and then two other, the other two teams, Falmouth and D.Y., who D.Y. needs these wins. So they really, you know, have got a lot that they're going to need to get out of this week if they still want to make the playoffs. Nosset, you know, is in somewhat the same situation. Sandwich is in as the uh, league champion, and Falmouth is in just on, on record already. Uh, interesting fact, Nosset is the last team to win the ACL regular season and the Cape Cod showdown in baseball in the same year. That was back in 2015. So just because Sandwich won it, does, uh, the league does not mean – they're just going to cruise to a Cape Cod showdown uh, plaque. Yeah, and I mean, when you when you look at the, excuse me, you look at the lead from top to bottom, and a lot of these sports we talked this year really mm -hmm. is wide open. Yeah. Um, and the good thing about this tournament is it really the purpose of it is kind of make a bridge between, 
the end of the regular season for a lot of these teams and into the postseason. So they're playing. There's no yep. lag, no letdown. People aren't being bored with practice. You have some games that for a lot of teams still mean something. Absolutely. Right? And, and, I mean, the, the league is settled in terms of standings. But, of course, you know, it's cool to see your, uh, an opponent for the third time. I know Falmouth and D.Y. Baseball, I believe, split the season, the regular season series. Yeah. Right? You got D.Y. beat Falmouth early in the year, and then you had that nine-inning game last week. Right. So. Um, and very, Sandwich split, too. Exactly. So, I mean, very interesting to see who gets the rubber match of these games, as they say in the major leagues. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we'll turn over to softball in a second. I just wanted to also mention uh, Bourne Baseball hosts a Poniquit, um later this week. That is a really big South Coast Conference match that is – I think everybody's kind of chasing Seekonk a little bit, but Bourne and Aponiquit are both very high up in the SEC standings. So they def Canalman definitely want this game. Aponiquit is one of their biggest rivals in the conference. So that's a really big match for them as well. Yeah, Bourne, I think the SEC is a, is a little bit of a stretch from at this point. I think a lot of it's just positioning to get themselves into the postseason and mm-hmm. see what they can do. And, I mean, this is a team that you can see that made a run. Yeah, they had a really close game with D.Y. in the first round last year that they won. But they have some potential um, sure. from some of those guys to really, you know, make a stretch of things. And we'll see what happens uh, down the stretch for them. Sure. Turning over to softball. So the Cape Cod Showdown in baseball every year seems to get a new champion. And it's, and it's very, you know, it's hard to predict each year what, who is going to come out of it. In softball, it's more been a story of dynasties. Dennis Yarmouth has won the last four Cape Cod Showdowns in softball. And before that, Sandwich won five in a row. But we're going into it this year, and it's not a foregone conclusion that anybody is going to win this thing. You know, D.Y., they opened the showdown against Falmouth, which is a team that they beat twice this year. Um, and Sandwich opens against Nosset. Sandwich beat Nosset twice this year. So you think those teams will probably come out of the first round. I think Sandwich has a higher percentage chance of beating Nosset than D.Y. does against Falmouth. But Sandwich ha- got the better of D.Y., Twice they two times they won against DY three to two was the final score in the regular season. So if these two teams meet up, this could go the Blue Knights way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really impressive to see Sandwich kind of turn things around. They didn't again. They kind of flew under the radar at the beginning of the year, but really have come on strong with uh, Rain Turley, who we seem to mention yeah. every week now. Really stepping up um, in the circle, and we'll see how it goes against in these high pressure situations. Now the season is kind of in its. Regular season's kind of in its final stages here. Mm-hmm. We'll see if the Blue Knights can uh, can keep it up consistently because they haven't put up a lot of runs, but they really haven't had to. Right. So, and, and some of these games like DY, DY's offense can really ignite just like that. Mm-hmm. So, you, in a game, in a situation like that, I'll be really interested to see if Sandwich can respond offensively because we know the pitching's been outstanding. For sure. Turley, 7-5 and five overall, 2.96 ERA, 58 strikeouts in uh, 75 and two-thirds innings. Uh, Abby Hicks is DY's leading pitcher, uh, five and five overall, two point five three ERA, and seventy eight strikeouts in seventy two innings. So averaging more than a strikeout an inning, which is very impressive for her, uh, and way fewer walks, eight walks versus twenty by Turley. So it could come down to which team's offense clicks a little bit better. Um, and DY's has a little more power, but has maybe been a little bit more inconsistent. Uh, but maybe they they can get away with that because Hicks is you know has got the slight edge if she pitches you know right I mean and Hicks it has pretty much proved that she's their number one pitcher yeah. D Y's number one pitcher I mean Madison Medeiros is, did a great job in the circle in the beginning of the year but kind of fell off toward the end I think she's a lot more comfortable playing third base and mm-hmm. being in that position yeah not to say that she can't come around but I think for now D Y's just got to ride 
Hicks in the circle and see how far they can go. She She's done a great job this year, really D-wise, and I think I said this last week, their defense has been their best friend and their, and their worst enemy at mm-hmm. times. So hopefully the defense can, can bail out the Dolphins because otherwise I don't see them getting – you know, very far beyond even the showdown in the postseason. Definitely. every And what's interesting about this tournament is all four of these teams are within a couple of wins and making the playoffs. So mm-hmm. chances are at the end of this thing on Thursday, somebody is going to have qualified because they played and won two games in a row and, won, you know, and, and right. took care of the showdown. So, you know, this is a tournament that matters for everybody involved. Everyone mm-hmm. is close. So this is not one of these, you know, like with baseball, they no team wants to kind of take these this tournament off. You know, they all mm-hmm. want to be focused and play as well as they can. And they can finally boot Marshfield off, which I know they've been trying <laughs> to do with the league for yeah, a while. Yeah, I mean, Marshfield's, they're the champs, and it's a little odd to have yeah. the showdown without them, but, I mean, right. that's how they do it, so. Yeah, and, yeah, so we'll move on. If we talk a little bit about lacrosse, Definitely. we'll move on. So it's kicking off right off today. We got Barstable at Falmouth, always a rivalry, mm-hmm. and, you know, Falmouth, yeah, dominated the first game, no surprise there. Falmouth has really looked strong this year. But last year when these two teams had a rematch, it, it was a one-goal game. And mm-hmm. so you really never know what's going to happen when these two teams step on the field. But Falmouth 13-3, they looked really strong last week. Two wins over Kingville, but very solid. Oh, yeah. Uh, a very solid program really across the board in all sports. Pretty much. That was very impressive. Call on me to Friday night scoring with three seconds left to knock off the uh, the host Warriors and mm-hmm. uh, the juniors committed to Penn State. He's really stepped up down the stretch. Yep. You know, he was crucial in the win against Marshfield, although that really can spread it around to a whole bunch of different scores. Guys like Nick Champagne, uh, for example, and it really found with just, I think, positions themselves well heading into the postseason mm-hmm. and showing that they can beat a powerhouse team like King Phillip twice in one week. Definitely. I think that's, that's a really good sign for them when they head into the postseason in a very tough, very small, but very tough Division Two. Um, those brackets traditionally been a little bit smaller, but they yeah. all had good teams in them. <laughs> yeah, last year, D2 South, I believe there were only six teams. Right. And two, so two of the teams even got first-round by. So it was basically, you know, you could make the state tournament with right. two wins. Yeah, Barnes Bowl's 5-9, uh, and nine, like I just mentioned. They've been battling, though. You know, guys like Spencer Jones, he had four goals and a 13-9 to nine loss against Sandwich. That's actually an improvement from last time where mm-hmm. Sandwich pretty much routed Barnes Bowl on their own field. So a um, little bit closer in that one, Aiden O'Neill, Dylan Jones, Miles Christofferson are all chipping in goals as well. And Jack Needham's really battled in that as well. He had 10 saves against Dartmouth last week to kick off the week for the Red Raiders. So I think at this point, Barnesville's playing for some pride. And, and mm-hmm. what better pride, you know, as we've seen like baseball, for example, would it be to knock off your rivals? Absolutely. So we'll see what happens in that one. Uh, another team I wanted to talk about was uh, SJP2. They've kind yeah. of, you know – for a school that's so young, they've actually made the postseason each of the last five years. Mm-hmm. And and this year they're eight and seven. They should be able to get themselves in, but it's it's not a foregone conclusion. They have two semi-challenging, one's a little more difficult than the other. Starting Tuesday, they got Archbishop Williams. They yeah. clinched the playoffs with a victory at eight and seven. But um Archbishop won ten to five the first time in their first matchup. And really SGP's been a streaky team. I mean, mm-hmm. let me just take you through how their season went. They started with three straight wins. They went to they lost four straight, then they won four straight, <laughs> and now they've lost three of their last four. So, so yes, yeah, so. you'd like to hope that the Lions are on the upswing to get themselves into the postseason, but they really only got a couple of games to prove it here. And you know, the core three: Virtual Kehi, Griffin Ho, and um, Mike Sakovich really mm-hmm. going to have to step up here if the Lions have any shot at it. You know, the good news is even if they lose Tuesday, they play Sturgis East Friday. Sturgis East six and ten. You know, it's not a layup by any means. I mean, but it was you think eleven six the last time. Get that one but that's done. a winnable game. But 
if they can somehow knock off Archbishop on their own home field, well, it's sandwich popcorn field, I should say, on uh, Tuesday, then then they should be good to go. And hopefully they use the Sturgis East game to um, improve their playoff position because cool. there's a big difference between nine win and ten wins. You're a ten win team. Sometimes the tournament committee looks upon that a little more favorably than a nine win team that just snuck into the playoff. playoff. So absolutely, we'll see how that goes there. And then another boys lacrosse matchup I'm really looking forward to this rematch is Bourne at Nosset. I covered the first game that was at mm-hmm. Bourne during April vacation, and I didn't have a voice that day. <laughs> Funny story, actually. I went on the air with sort of a raspy voice, and the next day it was just gone. So blame the show, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I credit the show for clearing it up. No, I didn't have a voice the next day. Oh, your vo- I see. The raspiness was gone. Excuse <laughs> exactly. Me. So kudos to the coaches for having patience there. You know, Bourne, they have the best record on the Cape, but Nasset dominated the last time these two teams played. Handed Bourne their first loss, actually. Um, and Nasset needs these wins. Yeah, right? Nasset, they only need one more to get in the postseason. But, again, I think they want two more wins to kind of get to that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'll get up to that mark. What was I losing my train of thought? They actually host Bridgewater Rainham today. That's going to be a challenge for them. So oh, yeah. if they don't get it done today, they're going to need to get it done tomorrow against Bourne. And, and, and I think they match up well against this team. You know, just some of their stats running down the line. Trevor Good has been really successful against them. He has 30 goals, 14 assists this year. And then secondary players, guys like Jack Judd, 19 goals. Chase Holmes, 16 goals. Tyler Good, also 16 goals. Andrew Sandoval, 16 goals. You're seeing a pattern here? Yeah. All these guys spread around Diversity, the score. yeah. <laughs> And Aiden, don't forget about Aiden Sullivan, you know, in the midfield. He scooped up 100 ground balls this year. And I remember the preseason, Nasset's big thing is loose balls are ours, mm-hmm. right? That can swing a game in an instant. And, and it really did. The last time these two teams played, um, it was 13-8. Nasset pretty much ran away. They really didn't look like they struggled much in that game. But um, Warren goalie Marshall Garvey actually kept them a lot closer in that game. And he's done a great job all year mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. And where was going to go here? Um, Nasset, they, they've been better in recent weeks. You know, they beat SJP2. They beat Nantucket. Mm-hmm. Um, two games that certainly weren't easy. And then the most interesting ones, they played Bishop Stang to a 9-9 tie. And again, yep. that was suspended because of weather. And they're going to pick that up at 5 p.m. Thursday. And I'm just imagining what that bus ride is going to be like. I mean, <laughs> in the time you just get to the stadium and the time you walk to the field, in less time that game could be over from pretty, when the whistle goes. Pretty much. And then – I don't know what they're going to do afterward. We'd have to follow up with Nasset coach Chris Gildehouse. I yep. don't know if they're going to go right back on the bus and back to Nasset. I mean, if they're school <laughs> the next day, you kind of don't have a choice. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe they have some sort of cookout, maybe get to know the other team. I mean, these this is not these are two non-league you know, opponents here. Go catch maybe they just make the there. best of it. I, I'm not really sure. But I, I have a hard time imagining they're going to drive all the way out to Dartmouth and then hit a ride back after – you know, an overtime session. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, and, you know, and they're facing a Bourne team that is playing really good lacrosse right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Emery Dunbar, he scored six times the other day uh, against Dighton Rehoboth, a yep. 12-2 win, and that clinched a perfect SEC record for Bourne. Yep. Really impressive mark for them, no matter how that season finishes out. You ask any team, it's never easy to win all your league games. There's always usually one or two in there Absolutely. that you're going to struggle with. And kudos to Bourne this year for beating Old Rochester not once but twice, an opponent where they've really gone back and forth with over the years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is going to be no layup for Nasset, especially coming off a, a tough game today against Bridgewater Raynham. But I think that this is a game that they can get, but Bourne's definitely going to be looking for some revenge. And the funny thing is last year, Bourne actually spoiled Nasset's chance at a playoff spot by beating them in the regular season finale. So... I'm sure Nasset doesn't forget that. Yeah, I'm betting. But that's I'm sure Bourne doesn't forget that either. Yeah. 
So that's it for boys lacrosse now. And I want to add one more game, if I may. Sure. Girls lacrosse, I'm really looking forward to this matchup. It comes at the end of the week on Friday. Mm-hmm. Martha's Vineyard at Falmouth. Yep. It's going to be a really good game. And Martha's Vineyard, 11-2 this year. Falmouth was only one loss, and that was to Marshfield. Um, these are probably the two best teams, I would say, in girls lacrosse on the Cape. I mean, the two top scores are going head-to-head. you got Addie Heyman of Martha's Vineyard versus Quinn O'Rourke of Falmouth. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be fun to see how those two can match each other punch for punch. Um, and I shouldn't say two best scores. Sam Garassi from Sandwich has actually taken the lead in the ACL. So um, kudos and, to her for that. And don't forget Jane Hurley. I mean, of course, Jane Hurley, yes. Uh, Falmouth uh, Academy's got Old right. Rochester this week, don't they? I believe they've got a game right, against, a rematch against, against Old Rochester. Right. Yeah, those are the two. And Old Rochester handed Falmouth Academy their first regular season loss, I Absolutely. believe, since, what was it, 2014? or Something, something like that. Yeah, it's so, been quite a while. And uh, kudos for Falmouth Academy for challenging a team like that. I yeah. mean, that's that's – it shows that they, they, they want that competition. They're not just going to coast into the postseason as in past years and then run into stiff tournament competition. Absolutely. Those two teams made the semifinals last year. Right. I, I think Coach Knowles would, uh, Sarah Knowles would say probably ORR is the toughest team they'll schedule right. during the regular season. Um, um, but Addie Heyman, yeah, she's a player that, you know, we, we mentioned her in roundups. It's tough to cover the Vineyard at times, but mm-hmm. she had nine goals and a 13-5 to win against Nossett, and that clinched the Vineyard a tournament spot. And then the next day she scored six more against Bishop Stang and a 16-9 to win. So Falmouth is a team that's very formidable. And, you know, I thought last week Falmouth versus Nantucket might be a game like that, and then Falmouth won 19-3. Yeah. <laughs> so Falmouth has, has a tendency to really rise to the occasion in these Absolutely. games. I think that's what puts them at 14-1 and this year. I mean, I know against Sandwich they had to battle back, but Sandwich is a tough team, so I don't take I don't fault Falmouth for having to rally in that one. But on their own home field, this is a very tough team to beat, and I wouldn't be surprised if Falmouth can if the Vineyard stays with Falmouth. But at the end of the day, Falmouth is just too strong. And um, but don't count out the Vineyard. I mean, they're definitely a team capable of making a postseason run, and, and we'll see how far Heyman can take them. Absolutely. Uh, you go with lacrosse. Can we turn over to yeah, tennis? Sure thing. Cool. So we are like two weeks away from seeding, and we still have five undefeated teams <laughs> on Cape Cod. Martha's Vineyard boys and girls are both undefeated. The Falmouth and Sturgis West boys teams are both undefeated. The Nauset girls are undefeated. And the Sturgis West girls have one loss and, like, 12 wins. So right. very strong season for the NAV girls as well. Um, what's kind of interesting on the, the boys' side is Monomoy are 9-6 and six and Cape Cod Academy are 8-5, and five, and they are both – Really, really close to making the playoffs. So this is a big week for both of them. Monomoy is at Falmouth, on which is twelve and zero today, and then they go to Nantucket, which is one and seven. That's a much more winnable match, I think, for them on Wednesday. Cape Cod Academy, they're home against Sacred Heart today. They're home against Nosset, which is three and eleven, which is another uh, winnable game. Uh, and then they are on Tuesday, and then they are at Nosset on Thursday. So. You know, Cape Cod Academy's got a couple of very winnable matches this week that should, if they can take care of business, will get them into the playoffs. Um, what I like about CCA is that of the 13 players on their roster, they only have two seniors. They got Noah Mendelson and Tommy Wang, and they have one junior, Roy Zhang. Everybody else is an underclassman. This is a very common phenomenon with Cape Cod Academy. They are a very small school, so they typically have to pull – underclassmen, even kids who would be in middle school and other schools, you know, seventh graders, eighth graders, sometimes even sixth graders for their varsity. And they're getting it done despite that youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about it. You know, when I was in sixth grade, there's no way I would have been ready for a varsity sport. Yeah, I mean, so kudos <laughs> to, the, to those kids for stepping up and playing. I mean, tennis is a bit of a different sport. You know, you can have some really young talent step in and, and be really effective. 
remember when I was in New York, I covered a seventh grader who was beating varsity seniors number ones. Sure. So, I mean, you never really know, but at the same time, it's, it's all experience. And when those kids get to be upperclassmen, if they're still playing their you know, varsity tennis, they're going to be well-prepared. Absolutely. You know, and CCA has a good tennis tradition. You know, Patrick Wyeth a few years ago won the individual singles tournament. So they have, you know, mm-hmm. this is not a program that, that success is, un- that is unfamiliar with success. So hopefully they can get back to the playoffs and, and keep things going. Um, Real quickly, yeah. you, talk, you did a story last week about all these undefeated teams. Absolutely. What was the sense you got from these teams? Did they feel like that that was a main focus of them? That was a goal? Or was it more of kind of an afterthought and just really positioning themselves for the team in individual tournaments? I don't think any coach other than the Martha's Vineyard uh, girls coach, uh, uh, Nina Bramhall, thought they would be undefeated this late in the season. Mm-hmm. Maybe Kathleen Tringali over at Nauset, uh, you know, had a pretty good idea that her team would, would be this far along. But I think the success of the Falmouth boys, the Sturgis West boys, I think some of that, even the, the Vineyard boys who were very good in the regular season last year, I think that all has come out of nowhere a little bit, but a lot of the coaches talked about how the Cape does not lack for tennis, you know, clubs. And a lot of these kids are putting more and more effort into training year round. You know, right. the vineyard has vineyard youth tennis and they go, they practice there all the time. They go indoors there when it's rainy, you know, there's mid Cape racket, there's Kings, there's like, there's really yeah, for the Nausic girls. So there's tons of opportunities and it seems like, more and more high school players around here are taking that, uh, like taking advantage of the opportunities to practice in inclement weather by going indoors at places like this. <laughs> and there's this. certainly a fair share of that. There's in tons and tons and tons of that. Um, switching over to girls tennis, first of all, a shout out to uh, Martha's Vineyard double team, Lizzie Williamson and Kat Roberts. They won the uh, the MIAA individual tournament, the the doubles South sectional tournament. They won that um, on Sunday. Uh, Williamson has now won three consecutive uh, individual South titles. She's also won two straight state titles. So she and Roberts will be back, you know, at the uh, end of June for the individual state semifinals, see if they can uh, make it a three-peat there. Cool thing about Williamson, she's been on the varsity since she was a freshman, and she's never lost a varsity match. Mm -hmm. She is undefeated. Uh, And she played singles as a freshman, never lost. Doubles last two years, hasn't lost. Doubles this year. Hasn't lost. Um, on turning to the more like bubble teams, Barnstable is seven and six. St. John Paul is seven and five. Playoffs both very much possibility for them. Barnstable is home against DY today. Uh, DY is five and six. They are at Duxbury on Wednesday, and they are at Falmouth, which is eight and four on Thursday. So definitely some opportunities for them to get it done this week. St. John Paul has got some very winnable games. They are. A, play Sturgis East at Mid-Cape today, Sturgis East is 2-7, Sacred Heart on Wednesday, Mash P, which is also 2-9 and nine, at Mid-Cape on Thursday, DY on Saturday. So by the time this week is over, Barnstable and St. John Paul could both be in the uh, playoffs. Yeah, and you'd like to think SJP can win at least three of those four. I would think, yeah. Uh, it could even be a sweep, and, and a sweep at this point in the year, you know, a lot, of te- a lot of teams talk about in all sports playing your best down the stretch. I mean, this is the time. If you're going to start playing your best, whatever, insert the sport here, this is the time to do it. Yeah. There's only two weeks left in the regular season, and really next week it's kind of just clean up some makeup games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll be some games that, that have postseason spots at stake, but other than that, this is really the week where things have to happen. Absolutely. 
So, um, and speaking of championships, you know, we got coming up this weekend track mm -hmm. championships for um, the Eastern Divisionals. So you have Division Three is at North Reading on Saturday, as well as Division Four at Ipswich Saturday. Mm -hmm. Both those meets start at 10 a.m. and those are long days. Absolutely, <laughs> experiencing those meet those are really long days, but you, you got to be focused because a lot happens and. Really, it, it's competition you haven't seen all year. The fields are a lot bigger. You have different flights. It really has a feel of a college meet kind of when you go to one of those things. It's just the stakes are that much higher. Mm -hmm. And what we used to, I remember, we used to have those meets over at Fitchburg State sometimes. And yep. you really feel like uh, you feel the pressure a little bit. But with the weather outside and people being able to, you know, do a lot more things flexible, people are also in a bit of a better mood. So, mm -hmm. And this is the time of year, especially for school, especially for seniors. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you get really excited to, you know, finish out your high school career in the best way possible and uh, we'll see how that goes there but in terms of the action I'm really excited to see DUI junior thrower Tiana Basie compete mm -hmm. I mean I, we read we've written a lot about her but I actually got to go out and see her compete once and it really is incredible and the Atlantic Coast League meet I mean she threw a meet record 127 feet two inches to put it in perspective, nobody else in the field even reached 100. <laughs> so I mean on the first throw I mean Just on half a throw. It she could have, you know, beaten the field there. So really is an impressive talent. And oddly enough, her best throw of the day was actually a practice throw. She took in between the prelims, the three throws in the prelims, and the three throws in the final. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, you know, it must be easier without the pressure. And she's like, well, yeah. <laughs> so a uh, really nice kid. Uh, she won to shot put as well, 40.3 uh, to, to lead DY. DY actually didn't win the meet. It was the NASA girls yep. who won the meet. Um, but to finish out on Basie, though, she holds the school record in discus at 131 feet 7 inches, cool. a mark that I think is going to stand for a while. You know, D.Y.'s had a good tradition of throwers, but she, as a junior, I can only imagine next year when she comes back, I'm, I can imagine she's only going to add to that mark. She could even add to the mark this year. Who knows? Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the shot book record wasn't too far away. Mm -hmm. So it was cool to see Jasmine McFarland, too, her former thrower teammate. She was there helping measure. Sorry, UMass Atlantic now, right? UMass Lowell. Yep. So, um, real, real impressed to see the junior really step up into her own because I know last year it was kind of a trio of really good throwers. Now she's doing a good job leading that group and, and having a lot of fun, you know, mm -hmm. a long time and cheering on her teammates. Chloe Aracy was the third part of yes, the trio, Yes, that's right. Correct? That's right. Um, so, the Nasa girls, though, they surprised me at the ACL meet. You know, they knocked off the defending meet champ DY on their own track, first of all. And even with a limited Madikit Nobley, who's really talented, Nasa distance runner, she's kind mm -hmm. of fighting away back from injury. She did run, but she's not at 100% yet. I think they're trying to bring her back in slowly. And the Warriors still really got it done. And mm -hmm. through the running events, yet Hannah Gale win the 100 hurdles. Sophie Christopher took the 400 hurdles. Uh, Madikit's younger sister, Izzy, Izzy won yeah. the 800. And Tara Eller won the two-mile, Caramore won the 400. Just those wins alone mm -hmm. kind of put a team over the top. I mean, Nasa's field events are kind of catching up a little bit, but... If you can dominate the running event, you're going to do a lot yeah. of damage. You're going to be a tough team to beat. If you know Tara Eller during the cross country season was pretty much always finishing second, just behind right. uh, Maddie. Nobley. They were a good one-two punch. Yeah, so you know, is even just having her, that's a huge advantage. Yeah. she was, she is an exceptional runner. Yeah, absolutely, and sometimes she, I'm sure she feels a little overshadowed. I mean, let's keep in mind both Madika and her ran the Falmouth Mile, and that's yeah. not something you just automatically get invited no. to. I mean, you have to be talented. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, they want Cape uh, usually have Cape representatives, but usually, yeah. They're not just going to pick anybody. They're going to no, pick somebody with talent. Who, and, you know, <laughs> can put up good times. 
So, and then also a quick note on the girls track. Congrats to uh, Mashby Sprinter Ashley Kelleher and uh, thrower Sarah McNamara. They were both named South Shore League All Stars. We just got that email recently. Mm -hmm. So, congrats to both of them. Mashby's putting together a decent season. Uh, on the boys' side, you know, it was really interesting too with the ACL meet to see Marvell Nickerson from yeah. Falmouth, really talented sprinter. He won the 200, and he's just a sophomore and running sub 24. Wow. He has a lot of potential heading forward, and I'm sure that's going to catch the attention of not just the people in the league, but people across, you know their division. So we'll, we'll see how it shapes up there. But he's not the only sprinter. John Curlew and Sam Koss, they were 2-3 in the 100. They got beat out by Nasset Still at McNeil, who's a very talented mm -hmm. sprinter. But found a good core group there and mixed with some distance runners. I think in the future, they're going to be a solid team. I mean, they finished second in the league standings behind Marshfield, who year in and year out seems yeah, to win this they thing. Just have, Marshfield is a huge yeah. boys track team, and I think that gives them a really distinct advantage. If I read that correctly, I believe that said they've won 10 straight outdoor titles. Which yeah, so... You know, hey, you take the pride where it was, second place. There's nothing to, to pout about. I think Falmouth put up a good performance, and we'll see how they perform this weekend. And then also in the OCL, me, it was impressive to see, as, you know, as a former miler myself, Barnstable, senior captain Nick O'Toole, the 442 to win the OCL, me. Mm -hmm. You know, Division One's always tough. you got a lot of guys who are running in 430s, even some guys running sub-430s. Right. Um, but, you know, it could be competitive depending on who's in the flight. You know, coaches tend to mix and match things depending on what their team needs. So, you know, we'll see how the mile shapes up. Um, but cool to see, you know, Barnstable fighting like that. I know the LCL is a tough, tough uh, league to be in for track. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how they compete against D1. And really, either way you slice it, yeah, I just have to say best of luck to all the athletes. And I always like to try to mention as many as we can. Yeah. But <laughs> track teams are huge. Track, it's hard. We can't really get to everybody. And um, the, the thing I always remember, too, is for these meets, they always said you either bring you bring your sunscreen and you also bring your rain jacket because it can be mm. just about anything, and and people forget as it warms up to people bring your sunscreen outside because yeah. you can easily get sunburned on a day like today. So and hopefully teams are using this warmer weather to get used to that because it's right. You know it will Hydration's affect going to be really important. Hydration too. and and sun exhaustion, all that kind of stuff. So you know take advantage of this week to figure out how mentally the heat affects you. Yeah, we're sounding like coaches now talking about exactly. All this. You know, it's it's almost like we talk to coaches all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess coaching thing is, is a good segue into um, some sad news we got at the end of last week. Uh, Vito Capizzo, the longtime Nantucket coach and athletic director, died uh, Thursday in a Boston area hospital. You know, he was ailing for a long time, and it, it was just seemed like. You know, I first read about Vito in the, in the book Island Cup. It described the Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket football rivalry. And, and I had no idea when I read that in college that all these years later I'd be here, you know, covering his, you know, unfortunate mm -hmm. death. Uh, he was 79 years old and, and really touched a lot of people, not just on Nantucket, but on the Vineyard and really across Cape Sports. He was just an iconic figure who, yeah, he wanted to beat you, but he also wanted to get to know you. and He mm -hmm. wanted athletes to, to be their best. And he was an old school kind of guy, make no doubt about it. You know, he had methods, but let's just say wouldn't fly in today's <laughs> sports culture. But, you know, that's the way things were. And it was interesting talking to other coaches like D.Y.'s Paul Funk, for example. He came in with a program when they D.Y. was just a JV program. You look at what they built it up now, and he still recalls from 2001, 2002, going over to Nantucket and scrimmaging them and Vito inviting everybody to a cookout afterward, both sides getting together and sharing advice, and I'm sure Funk, as a young coach at the time, really appreciated Absolutely. hearing from Vito, and, and at that point was in his last decade of his long coaching career. He coached the Warriors from 1964 to 2008, 293 wins. That's now six all-time, 
at the time when he reached 293, that was third all-time in the mm -hmm. state. So uh, just a just a tremendous coach and, and really it, it's un, unparalleled success to, to keep it going for that long. I remember uh, for the Boston Marathon, one of the people who ran it was Scott Capiso, right, Vito's son, son yep. and I was able to talk to him after the race. And, he, and Scott talked about running the race for his father. Um, so, you know, it was clear just talking to him, the impact that his father had on him and, and on so many other people that Vito had coached over the years and just interacted with over the years. Right. So, you know, our, our condolences to Scott and the rest of Vito's family, loved ones, extended family, all everything. Right. It was, and it was cool to hear some of the stories that Scott had too. You know, he talked about how when he, his dad retired, that the community got together and actually got him and his wife, Barbara, a very talented artist, a trip to Sicily, wow. Sicily where Vito was born. Mm -hmm. And they went for 14 days. And he said his dad didn't really talk about it. I think it was just a moment that he wanted to, Vito, that is, wanted to share with his wife. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, it was so different than when he moved because he, he emigrated with his mother at age 12. And <laughs> this is actually an interesting story. Scott told me the old school that he used to go to I actually been turned into a mafia museum. <laughs> so I'm sure it was a little unrecognizable at the mm -hmm. time, but I'm sure there were some things that reminded him of home. Sure. And I'm sure in that moment, you know, he took it in and really was appreciative of the gift and appreciative of the community who, who really was as our sports editor, Paul Bowker said in his column, he really was Nantucket in a way. And our, our sports editor used to take that flight over to Nantucket to cover mm -hmm. their football games and, and you see it now in Nantucket's football program. They've gone up and down. Um, I mean, look at Vito's tenure. His first year, they didn't win a game. His last year, they didn't win a game. But, boy, did they have a lot of success in between Absolutely. there with three Super Bowl titles, nine state championship appearances. Mm -hmm. Really put titles. Right. And, and he really took, as Scott said, people from all walks of life. Nantucket's a very diverse community, and they played as one on the field. And I think you're seeing it now that Nantucket – Really, especially now they're on the upswing. They had a really good season this year. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. they fell to Abington in this, I believe, the sectional semifinals of the second straight yeah. year. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they'll be back. They certainly have a lot of talent. And um, the stadium's being named after Vito Capizzo. And one last thing on this point, too, and I actually led my story with this over the weekend, was they named – so Scott's firstborn son is their second child. Mm -hmm. They named him Vito two days before – Vito wow. passed. So the Vito Capiza name lives on in Nantucket. And uh, it, it'll be really interesting in, you know, when Vito, Vito Lee Capizo is a teenager and he gets to see his grandfather's name on that stadium and think, hey, we share a special place here. And absolutely. And definitely won't be forgotten. Cool. I uh, I think on that note. <laughs> on that note, yeah, on a sad, kind of a sad happy note. Happy Monday. No, uh, <laughs> I think that'll do it for Cape Sports now this week. Thank you so much for watching. You can find uh, this episode and previous episodes of, of the show on capecodtimes.com slash capesportsnow. Go to capecodtimes.com slash sports for all of our local coverage or pick up your print edition of the Cape Cod Times. My name is Matt Goisman. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Goisman CCT. That's M-A-T-T-G-O-I-S-M-A-N-C-C-T. And my name is Steve Duderian. You can find me on Twitter at Steve underscore Duderian. That's D-E-R-D-E-R-I-A-N. We'll see you for episode 12. Bye. Stay safe out there. Put on some sunscreen. That too. Drink water. <laughs> Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.